So if we haven't met, my name is Todd, and we are in a series called Winning at Home. And as we are in that series, a huge part of it is a willingness to make sacrifices and to do hard things for those that we love the most. And so we actually have a, a great example of that. I don't know if you guys know Kristen and Corey Arp or their kids, Ellery, Ellie, Emery, and Ezra. If you don't know them, they're absolutely incredible and Kristen has been serving on our team as our executive director. She started the year in that role. It was part-time, and Kristen was always really clear, like, my priority is at home. And so recently, she came to me, and she talked to our elders and our lead team, and she said, I cannot continue to fulfill this role and to thrive at home or to win at home. And so she actually resigned from that role and has transitioned to our stewardship specialist role. So she's still on team. She's actually upstairs right now with the stewardship team. I think that's incredible. But she made a really hard decision for her family. And that's exactly what this series is about. Can we actually just take a moment and honor her for making this hard decision? You know, one thing that Tyler Staten says is we give up things we love for things we love more. But it's still hard because you love them both. So pray for Kristen, Corey, Ellie, Emery, and Ezra as they continue in this transition and find their footing as she's in a new role. She moved us forward in an incredible way. She's going to continue to do so in this new role. But the thing that I've been thinking about with this series and with what Kristen has done is if we were in her shoes, I hope we would all make that decision, that we would all choose to win at home. Because, as we've talked about so far, it, it's going to require sacrifice. We're going to have to give up some things for the people who matter most to us. But I think deep down, we all really do want to win at home. So to help us dive in today, we do this every week in this series, this is week three, is we just want to take a moment and define home. The first week, we actually wrote this down. If it helps you, you can stop listening to me and write down your home team. I get that. That's not going to offend me at all. But who are we talking about when we're talking about winning at home? We're talking about our people, our squad, our crew, our home team. I'll use those terms interchangeably. And, and we're talking about winning at home, no matter your relationship status. This is not just a series for people who are married or who have kids. This is a series for all of us, single, married, uh, married without kids, married with kids, single with kids. No matter your relationship st status, here's the thing. We all have relationships that are core to us and that we need to thrive in those relationships in order to thrive in life, don't we? And as a side note, if you're like, hey, actually, we all don't have that because I don't have anybody that I can think about on my home team, please email jade at publicchurch.com. She's our Connect and Serve director. She is so gifted at connecting and we'd love to just unleash Jade to come alongside you and help you start finding those people because we need them. Because our home team, these are the people that when it's really good or it's really bad, we reach out to them. And they're there for us to either celebrate with or to cry with. These are the people that are honestly often around our home and that we don't necessarily clean up for. In fact, they may help us do the dishes because we're that close instead of making sure our house is pristine. These are the people that we call family, even though we're not blood related, because we all know that family is more than just blood. And here's what we've discovered in the series. It's so easy to thrive and win in our careers or even in hobbies or these other areas of our lives and to actually be losing at home. It's actually harder to win at home than it is in some of these other areas. So it's going to take work for us. So to help us grow in how to win at home, and I say grow in that because losses are inevitable. 
It's not about being undefeated at home. It's just about winning at home. <laughs> and it's about, for a lot of us, I'm praying the Holy Spirit would just shift our path. That we've just been piling up losses after losses after losses, and the Holy Spirit would shift to where, oh yeah, there's still going to be some losses, but now we're actually headed towards an end of winning, and we're getting some wins piled up as well. So to help us, we have five principles. I'm giving these to you every week as well, just so that way, if you're like, I don't want to come next week because I don't need that, that's fine. That's on you, okay? Uh, but what we did the first two weeks is we did the awareness principle, the replacement principle. Today, we're talking about the long game principle. Next week, we're talking about the measuring principle. And then after that, we're going to finish the series on October 1st with the attraction principle. Again, if we apply these, these are going to help us win at home. Here's the key. No matter where we're at in our pursuit of Jesus. So if you follow Jesus, if you don't follow Jesus, we encourage you to start walking these out. Start trying to apply them. Because for those of you who don't follow Jesus, thank you for being here. It can be hard to walk into a place like this. Your friend might have sent you the link to this, but you still had to click on it. And that took courage. So thank you for being either online, in the lobby, or in the room. And know that we want to help you explore Jesus. And we really believe that applying these principles can help you in your exploration of Jesus. So part three really builds on the first two parts. So for those of you who maybe missed one or two or have just slept and forgotten stuff, just a, a brief little review to make sure we understand the awareness principle and the replacement principle because that sets us up for where we're going today. So the awareness principle, I'd love for us to all read this together. From the back row in the lobby up to the front row, let's read it. We'll start with the enemy. Ready, go. The enemy does not live in your home, but he is attacking your home. This is huge because the temptation is for us to fight our home team instead of realizing we need to be united front attacking the enemy who's outside. And so it's so easy for us to lose sight of this and then we actually end up just dividing the people that we actually need in order to conquer. And so the two things we've talked about in this is a question to ask this really practical question. What else is going on? That when there's strife between us and our best friend, between us and our spouse, between us and our adult children, when, when there's conflict, to pause and go, hey, what else is going on? Because she's not the enemy. He's not the enemy. But the enemy is real and he's attacking us. Right. And then the second part of that is that we would just pray the armor of God. That's found in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 10 through 18. And we pray it daily for our people. And I want to take just a moment, and we're actually going to walk through this because it's one thing to be like, hey, open your Bible and pray that. But some of you are still like, I don't know exactly what I'm praying. Do I need to go buy like one of those toy um, breastplates and like literally put on child's armor? You can if you want to. That'd be pretty cool. Um, and if you're visual, maybe that helps. All right. Um, but, but what does it mean to actually put on the armor of God? So you may want to take a picture of these next few slides, but, but I'm just going to take a moment and, and walk us through this um, just like we teach our kids. Just like we teach Liam is five and Oliver is four, this is how we teach them to pray the armor of God because we've got to be proactive. And the challenge is that we'd wake up every morning and, and read off our list of home team and before we do anything else, pray for them and go to battle with an awareness. So, so here's how we teach them to pray for the armor of God. The first thing is the belt of truth. And we literally make this motion with the boys. So the belt of truth. I do the motions a lot of times myself. It helps me. Okay, the belt of truth. And so they ask the question, okay, well, well, who is truth? Jesus is truth. And what's Jesus' story? Jesus' story is the gospel. So this is the moment that, that with our kids, we just tell them, I ask this question, hey, what is the gospel? 
and we're trying to train them to say back the good news that Jesus died and rose again. Now, for me as an adult, I actually take time and I walk through and I tell myself the gospel every morning. And what I'm doing is I'm asking myself this question. I did it this morning. I'm asking myself, God, what part of the gospel do I really need today? I need it all. But there's one part that I don't know I need, but you know I need. And so would you please just reveal that to me? So I'm starting. I'm just thinking, okay, well, I'm a sinner. I don't deserve the grace of God. Yet Jesus promised he would come and then he came. And while he was here, he lived a sinless life. All the things that tripped me up, he never got tripped up by them. He excelled, Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. But then he died. In his innocence, he took my punishment and your punishment. But in state that he rose from the dead. And so he has grave robbing power that I have access to to overcome my sin struggles. And then not only that, he ascended into heaven. And right now he's reigning as king over the universe. But didn't leave us alone. He sent his Holy Spirit. And he is always with me, empowering me, and being my guide. And don't forget this part. He's coming back. So no matter how bad it is right now, one day he's going to restore all the brokenness, right, all the injustices, and fully eradicate sin. That's the gospel. And how would our lives be different if we just prayed that every morning over our home team? And so we put on the belt of truth. And then we put on the breastplate of righteousness. And I just, we train our boys to just pray this, Jesus, help me to do the right thing. Real simple. Belt of righteousness, help me to do the right thing. And I'm also praying for them that they would know the Holy Spirit's voice. And praying that for me and for my home team. Let us know your voice so we can know what you're telling us to do and know that it's right. And then we take the shoes of preparation and we're literally touching our shoes. The shoes of peace. And we just pray this, Jesus, you are peace and you are with us. Because a lot of times I operate with an internal pressure that sometimes I don't even realize is there until one thing happens and boom, I overreact. And it was there all along. And in my life, I'm just praying, Jesus, would you just replace that pressure with your presence and your peace? And it's happening a little bit. It's a long road. But I do believe there's freedom as we keep praying this, both for me and for you. Jesus, you are peace. You're with, help us to be a non-anxious presence. Help us to be peacemakers. Some things I pray with that. And then we take up the shield of faith. We literally take up the shield of faith. Boys love this, okay? But, but in this, um, what I'm doing is I'm literally just praying some declarations over our family. Now, for our boys, it's teaching them, Jesus, help me to trust you. That's faith. We just trust him. But then also, I'm praying declarations over our home team. Things like this. Jesus has no uncontrollables. Therefore, we can control the controllables and release the rest. Galatians 1.10, from now seeking the approval of you, of man, or of God. Because I'm still trying to please you. If I'm still trying to please man, I cannot be a servant of Christ. Just things that I need every day to remind myself and to center myself and have faith. And from the start to disarm some of the fiery darts of the arrow with the shield of faith. And then the helmet of salvation. And this I'm praying for those in my home team that don't follow Jesus. May they repent and follow Jesus. And teaching our boys who don't yet follow Jesus. Hey, just to begin to pray this, Jesus be my king. And hopefully over time they'll really understand that and want him to truly be their king. But then also I take a moment because identity is such a, a huge place that I know we struggle with and so many people struggle with. And so we just take a moment with the helmet of salvation to also remind ourselves that we know whose we are or sometimes I say it like this, that we know we belong to Jesus. And so we just go ahead and fight back against identity. And I just say these things over my home team and pray them that, that we need to know that we are, you may want to take a picture of this because this honestly could change some of the mental battles you're having, that we are worth Jesus, excuse me, start off with this, that we are designed in the image of God. 
that we are fearfully and wonderfully crafted, Psalm 139. That we are worth Jesus' life. No matter how you feel, he died for you. You're worth his life. That we're sons and daughters of the king. And you may feel rejected by people, but then we land here. We're chosen by our father. And just praying that over our home team to begin the day. And then we just finish with the sword of the spirit. And we just have them say like, which is the word of God. And then for me, I'm just praying a scripture I'm memorizing. It's something I prayed over us this morning, Romans 15, 13. I pray that God, I'm praying this for you guys. I pray that God, the source of hope, may fill us completely with joy and peace. Anybody need some joy and peace this morning? With joy and peace. Why? Because we trust in him. Then we're going to overflow with confident hope through our own power. No, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Just pray in the word. So when we do that every morning, because when we do that, I'm telling you, we will become more aware of the enemy's attacks and be better able to fight against him. And then last week, we talked about the replacement principle. I'd love for us again to just read this together, starting with you. Ready, go. You're replaceable everywhere except your home. Everywhere. Those of us at the very top of the org chart or the bottom of the org chart... Those of us who think that life couldn't go on and the organization couldn't exist without us, oh, it can and it will one day. But we're not replaceable at home. There's only one person who can fill those vital roles to home team. And so will we invest in those who matter most? So that really sets us up for today because if we're living this, then we're praying for an awareness to know the enemy's going to attack us We've got the armor of God on, and because of the replacement principle, we find ourselves at home more <laughs> because we're investing in those relationships that matter most. So the question for today is, oh, I'm home, what do I do? <laughs> like, like, what do I do while I'm here? And I cannot in any way go around and answer that very specifically for each of you, but the principle today can guide us to know those specific answers for our lives. And so if you have your Bible or Bible app, I invite you to turn to Genesis 25. That's where we're going to start. As you're going there, I want to share a story that happened to me in college, and this is when God first woke me up to the principle, the long game principle that we're going to be talking about today, and we'll define that later. It's in college, and a mentor of mine then, a mentor of mine today still is Jake Stum. Jake Stum actually helped found the mission. If you're familiar with the mission in town, it's an incredible church. In our town, he founded that. Now he works more um, for the Anglican Network doing global relief work um, kind of all over the country and all over the world. But Jake's just an incredible guy. And when I was in college, Jake said this to me, and it honestly stopped me in my tracks. He said, you know what, Todd? When I die, I want to be in the top three people that my wife and kids respect. And that got me thinking because I'm a perfectionist. I was like, I want to be number one. Why three, Jake? You know, like... (laughs) What's the deal here, low achiever, you know? <laughs> Come on, man, have some standards. Anyway, so I'm thinking through this, and, and, and he goes on to say this. He said, look, my wife and kids, they're going to know the good, the badly, the ugly. They're going to know everything. So hope that even as they know everything at the end of my life, I still make it into their top three of people that they actually respect. I was like, okay, that's a worthy goal. And from that moment, I didn't have kids at that time. I wasn't married at that time. But, but that moment, like, God shifted me and began thinking about, okay, what do I really want in the end? Like, like what's the, the long goal? Not just the goal for, for right now. What do I really want to happen at the end of my life? 
And so to help us begin to think about that, we're going to start with um, what not to do. If you guys are okay with that, because honestly, that's a lot of our stories. Like, we know what not to do. We just need help with what to do. And it's the story of Esau. Maybe you're familiar with him. In Genesis 25, here's what it looks like to not consider the end. It says, one day when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau arrived home from the wilderness exhausted and hungry. Now they're brothers, okay? Some sibling rivalry right here. Esau said to Jacob, I'm starved. Give me some of that red stew. This is how Esau got his other name, Edom, which means red. So he's just like famished. Maybe you've been there. You come in and you're like, I could eat anything. Like the first thing I see besides like an animal or a person, like I'm going to eat. Doesn't matter what it is, Doritos, Oreo. I'm just grabbing something. I'm so hungry. This is how he was. And so, all right, Jacob replied, but, and this guy's a, Jacob means deceiver, by the way. He's, he's pretty sly. He says, all right, I, I got you some stew, but here's the thing. Trade me your rights as the firstborn son. Now, we may read this and think, ah, what's the big deal? But, but in this time period, there's a huge gap between the inheritance of the firstborn male and everybody else. So it was a huge deal to be the firstborn and to have that inheritance coming your way. But notice what Esau says next. Says, Look, I'm dying of starvation. What good is my birthright to me? Here's the key word, now. What good is my birthright to me now? But Jacob said, I mean, this guy's a good deceiver. Like, let's seal the deal. I need this in writing. So first, you must swear that your birthright is mine. So Esau, of course, he swore an oath, thereby selling all his rights as the firstborn to his brother Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and lentil stew. Esau ate the meal, then got up and left. He showed contempt for his rights as the firstborn. And here's what it doesn't say. About, but we know it's true. About six hours later, Esau was what again? Hungry again. But he was so focused on, now I'm starving. I'm dying. Well, what good is my birthright if I die today because I don't get some of that stew? Just a side note, are there any meals that would cause you to maybe make this decision? Anything you love that much? Thinking a couple of things. My, my roommate in... Um, just out of college, his, his mom, Angie Barton, she made food. And I think I might make some compromises to get Angie Barton's food. If you're listening to Angie, I'll come over anytime. Um, just saying, that's like confession time. But the point being, he's so focused on now that it says he shows contempt for his future. That word means disdain or scorn for his future. And so I'm just wondering, how often do we show scorn or disdain or contempt for our future? You know, we may be sitting here and going... You know, what I really need in this series is for my home team to grow. And maybe deepen some relationships, but I just need some more people on my home team because a thing I'm battling right now, I'm, I'm really battling loneliness. And what you found is you've been at the 930 for the past few weeks, and, and every week you just kind of find yourself talking to the, the same person, and, and you're having a conversation, you're doing small talk. And even right now you're thinking, I need to just ask them to lunch. Maybe they could be a friend that I need. And yet it would be so easy today just to do the small talk thing and walk out the door because it's really uncomfortable to ask them to lunch because of what if they're just, you know, tolerating you, but they're not finding the same joy in the small talk that you are, you know? Anybody else have these conversations in your head? And, and what if they reject us and say, no, I'm busy or I can't do it, and you know, like, oh, okay, I shot my shot and now it's over. And so we can get so consumed with now, okay, I'll just not say anything. 
that we're actually showing disdain for our own future and for the friendship that we need. It's just so simple and so easy for us to do this, isn't it? So what does it look like for us to not show contempt for our future? Well, that's where the long game principle comes in. And it can show us the path forward, how to actually value our future instead of undermining it. So, so here's the long game principle, and it's simply this. What we want in the end alters how we live in the middle. This is the long game principle. That, that what I'm going for in the end, what I want in the end, it's actually going to alter, impact, shape what I do, how I live in the middle. Now, an example, some of you may not get this, but, um, you know, if you're getting married soon, I know there's some people in our church that are getting married soon, and so if you're the groom, you have a really important decision to make on your wedding day, which is the cake cutting. Like, this is a pivotal moment. It's like, how much cake do I want to put in my bride's face? Do I want to put it in her face? I would just encourage you to play the long game. Think about what you want to happen after the reception and let that shape your decision in the middle. I'm just saying, okay? What we want in the end alters what we do right now. It's real life, guys. But it's so easy for us to get consumed with now, like Esau. And we're just focused on here, and we're, we're honestly completely undermining our future. And that's a funny story, but when it comes to those of us who are physical parents, because last week we talked about spiritual parents and physical parents, but as, as physical parents... Like, we, we want our kids to choose us one day, don't, don't we? But if we don't choose our kids over some things now, they're probably not going to choose us later. So, like, I want my kids to choose me when they're teenagers. I want them to talk with me. But am I tired of their, quest, their four-year-old questions now? Because what message am I sending? I don't have time for your questions. I know I've sent that message before. And so then when they're 16 and won't talk to me, I'm like, why won't they talk to me? It's because for... You know, the past several years, I've just been telling them I don't have time for you. Or, hey, I want you to choose to hang out with me, but I won't leave work early, or I won't turn down that volunteer overtime, or I won't um, decrease my hobby to choose them now, so I would expect them to choose me later. So easy to undermine our future. The long game principle, though, says, come on, let's think about what do we want in the end. And we're going to talk about this in the end. So, so what do we want in the end when it comes to our home team? We've got to think about that. What do we want? And then we think about how that changes how we live in the middle. And look, I think we could go around the room if this were a community group and we could say, yep, here's how I messed it up and here's how I undermine my future this week. But the real question is, has anybody gotten it right? <laughs> is there anybody in Scripture that can get it right? Is there a blueprint? And yes, there's a blueprint and his name's Jesus. That's the good news. So if you would, turn with me to Luke chapter 4 because we're going to see what it looks like for Jesus to play, to apply the long game principle. We're going to see what it looks like for Jesus to let what he wants in the end, and we'll talk about that, alter how he lives in the middle. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus is being tempted. Now some of you get a little weirded out by this passage because it says he gets tempted by the devil. And a lot of us imagine this like literal devil and them having a conversation, and that could have happened. But two very reputable scholars say, based on the language here, this could also be in his head, which is probably what it's going to be like for us. We probably won't have a physical devil walking down the street. If so, tell somebody, okay? But it is likely that we're going to have lies, very subtle ones, very attractive lies, 
They're going to come into our mind to try to get us to undermine our future. So verse 1 of this, it says, Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. So he's full of the Holy Spirit. And then he was led by the Spirit in the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Now this just jacks some of us up. Because some of us think if we're being led by the Spirit, he's going to lead us away from temptation, but leads Jesus straight into temptation. Because if we're actually going to grow and improve in life, We've got to go through some hard times. But notice the Spirit never abandons him in the temptation. He leads him in. He carries him through and then leads him out. Come on. And that's what he'll do for us too. And this word tempted in the Greek, it really means to be bent towards destruction. Like the devil here is trying to destroy Jesus. And I'm telling us, the devil's trying to destroy our relationships with our home team. He wants us to be Esau and to play the short game. Like the, the kind of unofficial title of the song is like, don't be Esau, Okay. How do we not be Esau? Well, it says this, that Jesus ate nothing all that time and became very hungry. One of the most duh statements in all of Scripture. For 40 days, he's not eating. He's fasting, and he's hungry. And it's like, well, you know, we figured that one out on our own. Thanks, Luke, for letting us know. But verse 3, the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. Now, we can read that and be like, oh, that's easy. Don't eat, man. Come on. No, no, no. Here's what's happening. This happens to us every single day. What the devil does is he wants to narrow our field of vision and get us to focus on only our current strongest felt need, which if we're honest is actually a want usually because <laughs> all our needs are probably okay. <laughs> he wants us to focus on that want and just focus on that and we want it right now, don't we? And then so I want intimacy right now. And so that's why I'm going to look at pornography. Or that's why I'm going to swipe and hook up with this person I've never even met before. Because that gets me what I want right now. Isn't this what some of us do? It's like we want, I desperately want comfort right now. I just want something to comfort me. And so what am I going to do? I'm going to reach for that third bowl of ice cream or I want some more fried food or we're going to reach out to that person we know that's going to lead us to do something that we will later regret, but it's going to be fun right now and we're going to feel good for just a moment. And so we're going to reach out for comfort because all we can see is right now. I don't think I'm alone in this. You know what I want and what we want, we want adventure. We just want to have a good time. I mean, work's hard. School's hard. So, so can we just have a good time? So let's just show up at this bar. Let's just show up at this place with whoever's there. And I can just drink too much. And I think I'm going to have a good time. I may not remember it. But man, I can just get hammered and I can have a good time. Right like tonight, I can know I'm going to be having a good time right now. We, we want connection. But man, things are really hard at home. You know, we've got kids or our spouse is busy, but you know who's very accessible is that person of the opposite gender at work and they're accessible and they would love to talk and that connection is just right there. So I'm just gonna go ahead and, and spend some time with them at work and make that connection because it's too hard to make that connection at home. You know what we really want? We want vengeance. And so I'm gonna defend myself and put myself out there because I wanna be justified right now. And now, now here's the danger in this. None of these are inherently bad. Like not even vengeance? No, vengeance is a necessary part of justice. But Romans 12, 19 tells us this, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. 
It's his. But here's the problem. He's going to give vengeance in his timetable, and I want it right now. Here's the problem. That the connection that we so deeply want is going to take some hard work to foster that connection. So we compromise and we make a connection with somebody, even though we're married, with somebody of the opposite gender, and that immediate satisfaction actually undermines what we want in the end and the long-term connection that we really need. You know, we, we want adventure, and so what we should do is get some people together and let's go for a hike next weekend. Man, let's get a beach trip together in a month. Man, let's go out and let's get out in nature. It's about to be fall. It's going to be beautiful. But that takes planning and effort. It's just easier just to show up with whoever there and just get drunk with them. So that's going to be my adventure. We want comfort. You know, one of the names of the Holy Spirit is he's our comforter. But he just takes too long, doesn't he? And that fried food or that ice cream or that person that's going to get me to do something I'm going to regret, man, that's quick and I know what's going to happen. And we really want intimacy. But that means we might have to romance our spouse outside of the bedroom. And that's just hard. And they still might not be in the mood. Or we're single. And we're like, well, what if I never get married? And if I get married, it's going to be a really long time to walk through that process, to get engaged, and get to that honeymoon. And I can just swipe right, and tonight I can have the intimacy. But that is undermining what we actually want in the end. And what we're doing, whether we realize it or not, is we're, we're going, man, take that stone and make it bread. So how does Jesus fight that? Jesus fights that because he says, no, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone. Jesus lengthens the view. He says, no, it's not just about what I want right now. It's about what my father knows that I need. And he's going to provide that because he's my provider. Then the devil took him up and revealed to him all the kings of the world in a moment of time. See, it's probably happening in his mind because it's like but instantaneous he can see all this there's actually no geographical point to see all this he said i will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them the devil said that they're mine to give to anyone i please i will give it all to you if you will just worship me so in other words hey you're bringing this kingdom of god whoever knows what that is it's unseen but i'm gonna give you the kingdoms of the world right now Hey, just compromise and take a little money under the table and you're going to get ahead in business right now. Hey, I know that chemistry exam is going to be hard, but if you guys just cheat a little bit, then you can actually get into med school and not have to worry about it. It's going to be a lot easier. Those are the lies, aren't they? That we would take what is seen, what's right in front of us, and we prioritize it over what is unseen. But here's what Earl McClellan says about this. When the devil offers you the world, tell him, no thanks, no thanks, I've already got it. Because in Jesus, we have an eternity with him that makes everything this world offer pale in comparison. But that's unseen in the future, and it's so easy to trade it for the now. And then what happens is Jesus says this, you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. He said, no, I'm not going to worship you, Satan. I'm going to trust in God. Then the devil took him up to Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and said, if you're the son of God, just jump off. For the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect and guard you, and they will hold you up with their hands so he won't even hurt your foot on a stone. I think this is, we're so tempted to self-promote because we want to get to the place we want to get to on our timeline. 
And so what that means, we've got to step on somebody else to get further up, and we've got to make sure that everybody knows, here's what I've done, even if we did it together. Forget y'all, because I'm climbing the ladder. And so they've got to look at me, and I've got to lie and say, hey, we messed this up, but actually that was all on Kyle. Forget that. We're doing all these things to make ourselves look good. Because you know what Jesus was going to go through? He was going to go through his own brothers going, he's not God, he's crazy, get him out of here. And the devil said, you don't have to go through all that doubt. You can just jump off the temple, put God to the test, God will rescue you, and everybody will believe. And for us, we think we can just short-sight it, promote ourselves, be all about us, and our own self-advancement will get us the platform and influence we want. And we're actually undermining our future, and that's why Jesus says, the scriptures also say, you should not test the Lord your God. Because Peter, who Jesus told this story to, as one of his closest followers, Peter later on wrote this, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. In due time, he'll elevate you. He'll exalt you. We don't need to exalt ourselves. So constantly what Jesus does is when the devil tries to zoom in, he lengthens it out. And so will we do the same? See, public worship, they're going to come on up, and they're going to get ready to lead us into what's coming next. And as they do, I just want to point out that Jesus actually played the long game on the cross. And that's the only reason that we have an opportunity to follow him and be forgiven of our sins. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, here's what it was, here's what's said about Jesus. It's talking about how do we play the long game. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor besides God's throne. You know what would have been easier? It would have been way easier for Jesus to worship the devil and get all the kingdoms of the world than to go through all the torture and brutal mental and physical beating that was the cross. But because of the joy set before him, Jesus let what he wanted in the end alter how he lived in the middle. And now we have a chance to be forgiven. And now we have a chance to spend eternity with him. And you may ask, well, what was it that Jesus wanted in the end? You and me. He wanted us to be able to have a relationship with him. And so he went through unimaginable pain for us. That's what the long game looks like. So here's just a few simple questions for us to ask to help us evaluate this. Number one is just real simple. We got to define our long game win at home. Jesus knew what it was the salvation of the world (laughs) a chance for us to have a relationship with him and I just want to give you a little hint I think that if we're all honest with ourselves a huge part of that win at home is going to be thriving relationships in the long run so define that though I've recently finished a book called parenting getting it right by the Stanleys, and one thing they said, just to speak to us physical parents for a moment, they said, sometimes we're so busy parenting, we never stop to think about what we're parenting towards. Sometimes we're so busy having friendships, we don't think about what we're friending towards. We're so busy dating or being married that we don't think about what we're dating or being married towards. So would we take some time 
likely with our home team and let's talk, let's define a win. Like what would it actually look like for us to win at home? Not now, but 50 years from now, just like Jake Stum did that day for me. It shifted the way I think. And then once we define it, we got to start doing something in the middle. We got to stop doing something in the middle. For those of us who are married or want to be married, what do we want in the end? The notebook. Come on, somebody. Don't we? Like, woo, that'd be awesome. It's so sweet. They're just like together. I mean, we want the notebook. But will we do the chore that our spouse hates every day? I mentioned Angie Barton earlier, my, my roommate's mom. They, her and her husband worked different shifts for a little bit of time, and she loved to cook, but she hated to clean. She you know what her husband did? He tried to make sure that all the time she came home to a clean house. I was like, Jared, did your dad love to clean? He was like, no, but he knew that mom didn't like it, and so he just did it all the time. That's letting what we want in the end alter how we live in the middle. And the Holy Spirit will show us how to apply that with our home team. But there's some things we need to start doing, and there's some things we need to stop doing. So take some time and evaluate that. Talk about this with your home team. And to help us reflect, what we're going to do right now is we're going to take communion. Because at the center of this series is this principle, the long game. And at the center of the long game principle is the gospel. That Jesus is our blueprint. And if we want to know what it looks like to play the long game, then we just look to Jesus dying on the cross. And then we're reminded that we don't have to grit our way through this. But he didn't just die, he rose from the dead. And so his resurrection power is empowering us to do this. So let's take some time. Communion is this this ancient practice that just centers us. The fact that Jesus died for us. We take the bread, reminded that his body was beaten and bruised for us. We take the juice, reminded that through his blood, we can be forgiven for all of our sins. As we think about what it means to play the long game and apply the long game principle in our own lives, I just encourage you to first think about how Jesus did it. So focus on that. If you don't follow Jesus, we invite you to go back to the prayer corner because the first step is not to take communion. The first step is to ask him to be your king. And then we'd love for you to go to one of these four stations and take communion for the very first time. But for all of us, they're gonna lead us in a couple songs. And so as they lead us at any point in this, just take some time, reflect. Maybe you wanna grab somebody from your home team, but there's four different stations. If you're in the lobby, we got you. There's a station out there for you. And so there's four different stations. Just when you're ready, let's first focus on how Jesus applied this principle. And let's let his example lead us to real change in our everyday lives. So whenever you're ready, communion is there.